0: you <laughs>
1: This is Bruce. This is John.
0: And this is Trav.
1: Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, the podcast where we explore the strange worlds of the TriTac games and bring new life to your campaigns. Whether you're playing a TriTac game or any other game, we hope that you find value in our podcasts. First, a big thank you to the Gutter Skypes who've been doing a wonderful game of Fringeworthy on their episodes. We have been putting it into our own feed because they have been doing some actual live recordings, which I think are hysterically funny, but they do have a tendency to chatter a bit, so it's sometimes good to put it on a device where you can skip ahead about an hour to the actual Fringeworthy play. John, have you listened to it at all? I've been listening to it for a while now. They're a great bunch of
2: gamers. We've offered to have them playtest our Savage Fringeworthy rules when we get to a better shape. And they're getting pretty close to that right now. I may be able to send Mark Kinney a copy of the playtest of the at least the the player section, because he already has the game, so he has all the background information. You hear that, Mark? So, yeah, so you'll be hearing them doing a playtest of uh, Savage Worlds one of these days. And also remember to listen to Mark Kinney on All Games Considered. That's correct. And also listen to, you know, Monkeys Took My Jetpack, which is another fun group. I've been seriously thinking about running a uh, fringe-worthy Skype game
1: myself. This depends on getting Skype to work the way way it should be working. Well, Jay comes in over a video session with me every other Sunday when we run our campaign uh, here in Atlanta. And you're not recording it? No, no. I I did the one recording. I still haven't edited that one yet. I'm still working on our actual live recording we did specifically because it's four hours long. It takes me an hour for every ten minutes, and that's four hours? I would say with a live play, and this is something I think
2: I, I've heard with the blind geek who's on both the um, Scarlet Scripes and uh, Monkeys Took My Jetpack, he's not as precise, but he does do a lot of uh, sound effects,
1: though, to, on, on his own stuff. Well, I definitely do like the sound effects, but yeah. uh, I've, I've heard the difference between uh, our non- edited and are edited and I really like the edited much better Yeah. so I'm going to have to stick with that even if it means I have to spend more time editing it
2: there, after five long years, my latest invention is complete surely it will revolutionize personal transportation for decades to come hey,
1: what you in here, get, get away from there, you stupid simian sociopath, don't touch that Ah, Monkeys took my jetpack!
2: Monkeys Monkeys took my jetpack. At mtmjetpack.com
0: Okay, this should be good. Well,
1: don't forget, they do have Tommy guns, which aren't exactly known for their...
0: their... Oh, that's
1: true, that's true. They could be intending to shoot it up. Okay, that's good. I like that. (laughs) Glad you (laughs) like it. (laughs) I ain't all
0: that enthused about it myself. Um, (laughs) You think you got problems? I'm from Iowa. Nobody from Iowa talks like this. It's funny. I I always took him for the bookish type, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Impromptu barnstorming. (laughs) I meant to do that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But Mark's a nice idiot.
1: There aren't going to be any problems. Come on. (laughs) You don't know me very well,
0: do you? The Gutter Skypes.
1: What about you, Trav? Have you listened to uh, the Gutter Skypes version of Fringeworthy?
0: Not yet, no. I'm still trying to find a time where I can set aside the block to... that. That's my thing. It's four hours long, and...
1: Uh, right. Each I session, mean, they're up to like... Uh, five episodes now.
0: Uh, yeah,
1: they're up to five or six
2: episodes at this point. They're using Microlite 20 for, instead of D20. Microlite 20 is a really light version of D20.
0: I have the rules. My friend Gifted Gear gave me, got me a copy of the rules. Yeah, so I'm a little familiar with them. It's kissing cousins to twerps
2: in some of aspects, and that is based off of your stats, with, of which you have three.
1: We hope everyone's listening to the Gutter Skypes version of Fringeworthy for some examples of actual play. I'm not going to talk about whether or not I consider them official or not, because everyone has their own way of playing Fringeworthy, and we think that's a really good idea. So instead, we're going to go on to our next section, which is Reader's Questions.
2: Fringeworthy.
0: my buddy, Eric. He's the co-host on my show.
1: Right. He's joining Trav's Friendsworthy campaign, and he had a lot of questions to ask. Now, some of the questions we have answered before, so we're going to probably jump over some of them. All right, so let's go over the, the questions here, and uh, there's there's quite a few of them, and Trav says there's a lot more coming. I'm going to go ahead and, and get started on this list here. Was there a number one question? Because my list starts on number two.
2: There was one, because sufficiently sufficiently built... Faraday cage protect inactive electrical
1: equipment carried. On. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. Answer is no. <coughs> right. Because it's being broken. There's two reasons. Without getting so far into techno babble, okay. When you take anything through. The interface, when you transit onto the fringe path, that interface is touching every nanoparticle, you know, a subatomic particle as you go through the interface. So even though you might wrap a Faraday cage around an object, while it's transiting, that Faraday cage doesn't actually exist around that object. Yeah. So once you get on the other side, then you could ask the question of, well, could I then generate an electrical charge inside the cage? At which point the answer is still no because the effect that is causing the absorption of free electrons on the fringe path is operates at such a tiny level or operates on a trans-dimensional fashion that it simply wraps itself around any protection that the Faraday cage could have. It's magic. It's, <laughs> it's not magic. It's <laughs> sufficiently advanced science. Thank you very much. Yeah, magic. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Arthur C. <laughs> Clarke. <Yeah. laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, and there was a follow up. Is the draining effect uh, gate driven or aspect of being in the fringe path? And the answer is yes.
0: The draining effect is done by the gate and being on fringe space itself suppresses non bioelectric energy.
1: Yeah. Right. And it's not just bioelectric energy. We, we use that term kind of frequently. What we really mean is the normal biological processes, the electrical energy that's involved in your nervous system. What's really being suppressed is any free electron exchange, like something that might be able to jump a gap, something that might be able to power a tool. It's, it's also something done on a relative level. But we want to make sure that people understand that just because you make a micro-voltage device, let's say a nano device, it still doesn't work because it operates on principles that are not basically chemical uh, exchanges of, of, of electrons in uh, the bioelectrical processes that we call our nervous system.
0: Okay, uh, now we can go to the second question. When a fringe gate depowers or denukes something, where does the power go? Can it be claimed? Can the gate itself be tapped for a power source without harming it? And if a non-fringe-worthy person holds some sort of lead wire to the transit of a portal, could that be tapped for power?
2: The energy goes into the fringe pass system and it can't be tapped. At least, no one knows how to tap that energy. The only way right now of tapping a ring station is to run a belt through the portal so that it loops around and comes back outside and you attach it to a gear system that runs a generator
0: or any other
1: kind of mechanical device. Yeah.
0: Because so, didn't we agree that the system is not powered by all the captured electricity and magnetism and all that?
1: Right. I mean compared to to what we understand, uh, what would be required to create all these dimensional gates and things like that, the amount of power that we're actually talking about absorbing is negligible.
0: Was it, John, that actually like powers a platform, per se?
1: It's
0: the power of a black hole. And and like...
1: According to our Prince Really Bible, yeah. a fringe gate is created uh, with the energy of a triplet of black holes and a dwarf star.
0: Oh, breaking a car battery is nothing.
2: Though <laughs> so I will point out that taking uranium two hundred and thirty-eight and taking it down to a stable isotope of lead would put out enough energy to melt everything in be base within a couple miles.
1: Right, <laughs> if it wasn't diverted. Yes, yeah. absolutely.
0: I'm thinking about this here because aren't there such a thing as depleted uranium rounds? Yeah. You can make ammo by taking uranium through the fringe gate and say, oh, we have this here. And just...
1: It'd be very expensive ammo. Well, yeah.
0: Well, well, the trouble
2: with DPU rounds is that when they say depleted, they're depleted of U 235.
0: Okay, all
2: right. They're still got U 238 in them, and when you go through, they get turned into lead. Yeah, and see. Other isotopes.
0: That's why these questions are here on the forums at tritechgamers.com. A lot of these are above my pay grade. <laughs> These all technical stuff, and they just go, like like I said, in one ear and out the other with authority. Just like, huh?
2: (laughs) So, number three, Trav?
0: Yes. Are paizo crystals harmed, helped, or unaffected if at rest by a fringe portal?
2: And the answer is, yes, they are unaffected. Squeezing one while on a platform does not produce any sort of spark. Nor does it keep it from
1: sparking once you take it off the fringe portal. For about 10-15 minutes. Okay. (laughs) All right. <laughs> is the actual piezoelectric generation of energy, is it actually magnetic?
2: No, but I thought it was all like, electronic devices wouldn't work for 10, 15, or at least
1: 10 minutes before they keep... It, it takes that long for magnetic domains to come back.
2: Oh, uh, okay. Both, you know, the
1: magnetic properties, but I'm not quite sure about the actual mechanical aspects of a piezoelectric crystal. Uh, if it's simply just pressure and it, there isn't anything actually magnetic involved, then it could operate immediately upon coming out. I don't know uh, engineering on that, so I don't know how That's to answer the one, that.
2: Because I remember Richard, in the original version, it was electronic devices would not work for 10 minutes. All the electrical properties are like sh- defunct for 10 minutes before they come back. That does not mean domains.
1: I mean, we're talking they don't work for 10 minutes. But the, the magnetic properties we're talking about is wires. Basically, the same thing, though. It probably is. So the answer is they're not harmed and they won't do you any good for about five minutes to ten minutes after you come out of the portal.
0: Okay, number four, how feasible is a set of military web gear that also works as a photo solar cell and as an IR charger generating current as body heat?
2: Seen too much Matrix, has he? Uh, (laughs) I said pretty much, it's pretty feasible. It won't work in the platforms or a fringe pass, (laughs) however. And besides, you're in a twilight. Yeah, there's no direct sunlight, and we really
1: don't know if it's actually light or if it's something like light. It's definitely light, but whether or not it's being generated by a star or something, we think that's unlikely. Yeah, I mean, it will expose photographic plates if you bring them out there. Right. You can take a photographic picture on the platform system. And remember, but I'm not sure that's the question he's asking here. I think he's asking about a more generalized gear that would be powered by something that wouldn't require carrying batteries and things like that. And my answer to that is, is that unless we're talking about a very low voltage piece of equipment or a very high tech solar cell array, you're not going to get enough power. You're walking around with a big solar panel on your back or something. I mean, that's pretty easy to get damaged, you know, as far as clothing is concerned. Yeah. Thermal systems, what you're talking about is a heat pump. Heat
2: pumps work on differentials. It worked great in the Antarctic. It probably wouldn't work at all in the
1: jungle. Because the temperatures would be too close to each other to have the differential. Right. But not only that, IR energy, because it's lower down on the scale, has less power associated with it. Mm -hmm. That's why your most energetic particles are way up in the uh, x-rays and things like that. So anything that runs off a heat is going to produce less energy per square inch Mm -hmm. than, let's say, light versus ultraviolet versus x-ray versus gamma ray. So... You're better off trying to find a solution that actually works off of available light, visible light, than working off of something that runs off of infrared. Unless, of course, you know you're always going to be in the dark, yeah. where the only thing you have is infrared. In the
2: specific case, this gear—if you had this gear—it would not work on the fringe paths because it generates right. electricity, and the electricity is suppressed on the fringe. Okay. Exactly.
0: Right. Okay, number five. Does fungi exist on the fringe paths? Can we say food fuel source? If no, what is the apparent mechanism to prevent colonization every time a path is used? Do the biofilters work on those too?
2: There is no growth medium on the platforms or pathways, and the rail humidity is very dry, both of which is not conducive for fungi. Fringe weather events tend to clean the platforms off. Since you can't actually penetrate the metal or the surface of the platforms, it can't take root. Yeah, you can bring the fungus, you know, you set it
1: down and it dries up, it dries a bone and dies. And those fringe events that you're talking about, there are rainstorms, but there's also electrical storms, high winds, mm-hmm. all kinds of, you know, rains of frogs and, and cats. And that's a kind of a negative environment for something to live in. Or you find yourself in a different platform because
2: you were picked up and blown down the pathway.
1: They are powerful enough to carry people along. They are. yeah.
2: And also, Richard hinted at a couple of times in some conversations with him that there are, let's call them uh, fringe Roombas that show up very so often clean platforms.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that there was some type of automated system on the fringe that cleans the platforms and pathways. I just knew there had to be that.
2: Yeah, but you know, so far he just hinted at that. He never really stayed for sure that
1: there were fringe Roombas
2: out there running, running amok and cleaning the
1: platforms off. <sighs> the wind blows down and out and then around and gets sucked up the underside. So anything that isn't above a certain size, I mean all your normal dirt, mm-hmm. that's just going to be automatically blown away. If you're talking about if you dropped a tool, for example, l- would it lay on the platform forever until someone found it? Or would it get absorbed or something? We don't have anything in our published yeah. information to say what would happen to it. And so I would leave that to your GM to decide. Yeah, We know that the fringe system is active. It rebuilds itself. It, it reacts to motion of things going over it. So it's possible that it would eventually say, you know, that's just really an object that is foreign and I should do something about it and just eat it away. I don't know. It sounds a little nefarious. I'd be a little worried about the latency time on that. You might wake up and find your sleeping bag, uh, your uh, mat has gone away, and who knows. The
2: only way you can get things to stick to the platform is to use a suction cup. And depending on how you depict the ramps, originally ramps were depicted as being solid wedges my version, it's just simple metal sheets. Just sheets that go up to the ring station, so you have a place underneath, and to the stick stuff and wedge them in in place.
1: So, do the biofilters work on uh, fungi? Well, if it's a infectious fungi, then yes, it would. Okay, uh, because it is a microorganism. If it's non-infectious, then it would depend on whether or not it was a danger to the world. The, the, the biofilters are designed primarily not to protect the traveler, but to protect the world from being invaded by something bad from another world.
0: Ah, okay. All right.
1: So here's a question then,
2: Bruce. Okay, I got myself some toadstool. Yeah. Does it disappear when I go through the ring and step onto the platform?
1: I would say that if it was in a structure like a toadstool... That it was sufficiently complex enough that it would be considered no longer a simple cell. It would be allowed through.
2: And that spores, too, if it's getting close to spore,
1: the spores will come through as well. I pretty much assume that, yeah. Most planets' ecosystems are not so weak-sistered that they can't handle a new bacteria that comes in. You know, our own ecosystem is highly complex and highly competitive. The new kid on the block is not necessarily going to beat everybody else up. Okay, if someone who used a synthetic microbe to replace or enhance their immune system, would they be at risk if they used the fringe pass? Do the fringe pass pose a health risk to the recently medically treated? We're talking about negative, you know, something that would be interpreted as a disease. If it's a helper microbe, there's no reason why that would happen. If it was something that was necessary but was a a pathogen on another world, it would be changed so that it would no longer be able to reproduce. So therefore, it couldn't become contagious on that world. And therefore, you would start to suffer a deleterious effect as you stayed on that world. You would have to go back and get redone, whatever. And you would start to see a breakdown of your immune system as a result of it not being able to reproduce itself. Uh, Assuming, of course, that that's part of its process is to reproduce itself.
2: As if you point out, though, the fringe path is a pretty dang good booster of your immune system by itself. With constant travel and so forth, you may actually end up not needing those synthetic microbes after a while. Unless you're for very specific things that the fringe path can't cure. Like if you're a type 2 diabetic, you probably can't cure that. So,
1: yeah, you probably would need those synthetic
2: microbes in your system to help you with that.
1: Do doctors already know what medicines are adversely affected? And the answer to that would be no, probably not.
2: Most medicines are basically just chemicals, and they're not affected. And anything that requires, like going back to the fungus, usually you're using in a dead state. So at that point, it's not going to be affected by the fringe path. If You need an active live fungus or live bacteria, like the stuff in the bottom of your yogurt cup. If it's a good, if it's a good bacteria, it's it's left alone. If it's a bad bacteria, or at least as Bruce pointed out, bad for the world, you're going to. Bye bye. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you have a pacemaker, you're gonna have problems when you
1: go through the portals. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Insulin pump or
1: yeah, insulin pump, pacemaker, any of those things. Anything that has a battery is gonna be a problem.
0: But then again,
2: if you find a dock box, hey, you know, hey, there's your there's your solution right there for your dock you know, if you find a dock box, it'll fix you right up.
1: <laughs> right. But on the other hand, things like pumps there's lots of ways to place one of those pumps made from another animal, like some kind of muscular tissue. You could have some kind of bioengineered pump that is actually another animal that is actually embedded in your body that would serve the same purpose. So, as long as it's not electrically driven, then there's no reason why you can't have it. it we're just talking a level of technology that's far advanced than what our current Earth has.
2: Okay, uh, are nanites affected and how? If their power source is the host body, that is, body heat, no internal power source, and they are large enough to not not trigger the microbe uh, filter. So malignant nanites are cleaned out just like uh, malignant microbes. Thermal-powered nanites should work, as will nanites that use sugars for fuel. Powered nanites, such as ones powered by microwaves or small amounts of nuclear material, will die.
1: Or just become inoperative.
2: Thermal nanites may have problems because most thermal power systems require a temper temperature differential to function. Living inside a person, not much
1: temper, temperature differential to work. But most concepts of nanites actually involve uh, essentially electrical charge. They're just a tiny electrical device. Yeah. They use magnetics to move their legs and or, what, or their pinchers or whatever else, and so those wouldn't work. However. Uh, it is known right now that there are scientists that are working on tiny engines that run off of things like alcohols that are the you know the size of a pinhead and they're like a little engine that runs with gears and things like that and so it's possible that for something to be operating at that level as long as it can get a, a proper supply of uh, oxidizer like oxygen you know or whatever it's going to use A pinhead is actually as micro technology I understand. I was really talking about a complex device that might actually be nanotechnology in the sense of its construction. However, it might be that size in order to do real work. It all depends on upon what you're trying to do. That could be a whole robot. I mean, a real robot at that size.
2: The other problem is communication. If the nanites require some sort of central communication to, to organize their work and so forth, they're pretty much tried out because the only way of doing that is radio waves. Are, are there forms of ele- electromagnetic radiation, which aren't going to work because they require what? Electricity on the platforms, and that doesn't work. If they communicate like bugs and use chemicals, they'll probably still work. Probably not as fast as those that, that use radio waves to communicate to each other.
0: Number nine, are there limits to how strong the mellow resistances are? Example, shooting a bullet-resistant Miller with a 50-millimeter chain gun or nuking a fire- and radiation-resistant Miller.
2: And my answer to that one was resistant doesn't mean that they are bulletproof or radiation-proof. If I remember my D20 correctly, resistant creatures take half damage. Proof creatures take like one-quarter damage.
0: Um, last I recall, immunity means immune. You are totally immune. Let's say if you have a creature that has immunity to fire, Fire does not affect it. It's not quarter damage. Okay. Resistance is usually, from what I've seen...
2: Half or a quarter?
0: Well, not even a half. It's usually like... I'll, I'll pick a, something out of the monster manual. It'll say fire resistance 10 or acid resistance 10. Resistance just means that it has some defense, and it's usually 10 or 15, depending on the monster. Yeah. But immunity, yes, that means nothing gets through.
2: And also remember that nukes do more than just light and heat radiation. They also do kinetic in the form of a shock wave. So you know, unless that thing is immune to kinetic attacks, immune to light attacks, immune to radiation attacks, immune to heat attacks, Miller's usually immune to one thing. The rest of it will get him.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. It also depends on which game system you're running friends really under. In the original game system of the Tritag game system, it said immune. It meant immune. You know, you could fire bullets at a impact damage resistant meller all day long, and they would be like Gumby. You know, it would just bounce. It would just either sink in and, and disappear. Somehow he manages to get past it. I think that's a little bit too magical, considering what the meller are. So uh, I would have to agree that in most cases, this is not going to happen. What you should understand is that. We have a, a creature that already has a regeneration. It already has damage resistance. So before we even start talking about things like, is it uh, immune to this damage? You have to say, well, is the damage at least 10 points around? Because if it isn't, it's not even getting past its normal defenses. Yeah. It really comes down to how the metal are being represented in your game system. It's quite possible for a meller to be from a world, let's say a Bureau 13 world where such things as being magically immune to things is possible. Well, that meller might very well be immune, you know, to certain things because it's got a magical spell going on. Mellers can learn how to cast spells like anybody else can learn.
2: The one thing it can't be immune to and which just goes straight to question number 10, Trav, could you read that one?
0: Could a meller somehow become resistant to the anti-meller filter in a fringe portal?
2: No. Because it's tuned... To, it's, how I can say it's sort of like the mythical uh, laser is tuned to the resonant frequency of water. The fringe portal uh, defense system is, is tuned to the Mellor's system. Yeah. It hits him, he goes poop.
0: I tried to explain to Eric that it basically works on the Mellor genetics. It basically... Even if he's in a human fringe-worthy form or a, you know some other fringe-worthy form, there's still that Mellor core there in the chest. And basically, from what I gather... The rather intelligent fringe system says, well, if it's in a fringe-worthy form, it hides that. But once it becomes the Mellor, it picks that up and it's like, oh, Mellor, zap, zap, zap.
1: Yeah. The blast from the portal is interpreted as being a a sort of a laser heat blast. It's not really described to what what it actually is. It could be focused and antimatter for all we know.
2: When I ran, I told my players, oh, yeah, when it's attacking the Miller, you can stand right in that beam. It goes right through you. It doesn't affect you. It's not meant to affect you. It's meant to affect only millers."
1: Oh, no, I didn't do that. If the Miller was on top of the vehicle, it would slag the vehicle as it slagged the Miller. No, I don't do that. I...
2: Well, I was looking at the fact that, that they were making Miller-only
1: weapons on the various... Right, but I'm still given the, the fringe system the ability to create collateral damage. Okay.
0: Yeah, because if it's going to heat that meller up, I'm sorry, if you have hot something, you know, some hot biological matter that's gooey and you have, like, a humbee under it, that Humbee is still going to be affected by the heat given off by that meller being melted. That's just normal right, right. physics. I mean, you can't escape that.
1: And though it serves a different purpose as far as I was concerned, it's also the same defense mechanism that protects fringe travelers by attacking their attackers as they're trying to go through a portal.
2: That's true, yeah. So it's the same system, but yeah. Right.
0: Uh, Number 11.
2: Yeah, the fun question.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, here we go. Can Slargs smell and identify Melor?
2: And my answer was yes. It's what they're designed for. And despite what Bruce might say, Slars can use their sonar to see inside people to see if they are what they appear to be. That may mean they have to shove their head against your chest to do it, but they can scan you with your sonar. And Bruce, you said,
1: I can see the Meller's thoughts. He wants me to stick my head against this guy and try to be able to, to listen to what's going on inside of him. He must think that guy's a
0: Meller. I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Their fear would kick in and be like, yeah.
1: No. Yes. So I can't see that operationally ever actually working, John. Yeah. Uh, just, just, you know, it was just, because they were designed to be Mellor hunters. Right, but they cannot smell a Meller because the smell of a person is part of the camouflage.
0: Ah, uh, cool. yes, that's right. They do cover smell.
1: Yeah,
2: but if the Meller's aren't in camouflage, they're in their natural form, he gets one whiff, and of course, his screwed up fight and flight reflexes kick in, and he runs for it. He will not tell you why he just runs.
0: John, let's get it right. With a slarg... It's not fight or flight. It's just flight mechanism. <laughs> just, no.
1: There's a tiny, tiny microscopic bit of fight in there, and then there's a whole huge mountain of flight. <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be the other way around, but that's not how it turned out.
0: Right. Uh, debilitating is the intrinsic cowardice of a slarg. If Meller were once at a place on the same world continent... Within a certain distance, or if the slarg doesn't sense him, so he must be safe.
2: To the point that unless there's no way out, the slarg will cower in the nearest hidey hole and whimper. If the slarg has encountered the melody before, or he gets a sniff, they will turn tail and leave immediately. That's
1: a doomed world. Doomed, I say. Doomed. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, it was planned for almost all these worlds that there would be meller on them. The original meller are there. Yeah. Therefore, saying. If this is a world where there could be a Mellor, it's pretty much of a, a no-brainer. Every world, there could have been a Mellor. Yeah. Is he still there? I don't know. Uh, Swart would basically be unable to function if he couldn't go on to a world where there possibly could be a Mellor.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, all Mellors smell alike, so you can't tell by smell if it's a good Mellor or a bad Mellor.
0: I was just going to ask that myself. <laughs> what the, the agent that changed the Mellor into evil... Does it alter their body chemistry so they smell differently? Okay, you just answered that question for me. Thank you.
2: It's a programming. It's just programming. So it yeah. doesn't change the body structure at all. Okay. Well, it does, actually. They don't look the same. They look the same, yeah, but that's
1: mainly a programming issue. You know, Basically, it's making use of their ability to change their outer appearance. From a game standpoint, I would say that don't do anything to nerf the meller. Yeah, More powerful the meller are without giving them more powers the better you are. and Make them tough. Don't give anybody an easy out. They don't have any kind of a, a tell that you can take a, a smell sensor or things like that. So I would say that the, the change that was made, it wasn't planned on and making the affected mellers to be somehow uh, unnoticeable from the old Mellor. Uh, I, I don't think that was planned enough. I, I would say even that the Kegaks were amazed to know that the infected mailer could actually split into two, two lower forms. That probably was a huge surprise to them. They didn't probably know that that was going to happen. Kegaks are as good programmers as they are with schemers. Oh. They're good on the master plan, but like all master plans, there's usually a mistake here and there that uh, ultimately provides the comeuppance. Yeah, in the follow-through. Yeah. All right.
0: Yeah. right. Number 13. Would Slargs become demolitions or artillery officers? Could there be a genetically defective Slarg, and genetically defect is in quotes, of course, the finger quote marks, you know, that works well over over, um, podcasting. Could there be a genetically defective Slarg that is brave?
2: And I said a brave Slarg is possible, but that Slarg would be ostracized by his fellow Slargs. Uh, As for being an artillery officer, as long as the opposing side doesn't have an effective counter-battery, capability, a Slarg will happily drop art rounds on the enemy. You know, oh, take that! Oh, yeah! Got you again! Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Demolitions? You crazy! That thing blow up! Make you hurt! No, no touch! No touch!
0: (laughs) I'm not going to play with the make it go away thing, yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Mm. I have an opinion that you can get a Slarg to fight, but you must give it no other Options. And remember, slugs were designed to be warriors to attack M- Meller. If you somehow get into that, that point in w- uh, uh, 1% of its fight reflex, you got a fight in your hand.
0: Because it's got bite and claws, and it is a man sized dog.
2: Yeah. yeah, And they can fight in the dark. You can't.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. They've got the <laughs> yeah. sense of. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh boy, but yeah, I can see. A, well, that, that because Eric made that joke. Oh, a blind <laughs> artillery officer. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> hey, all you need to do is set the azimuth and the uh, and the attitude, and you. Most artillery officers don't see the target they're aiming at.
0: Also, can't see the gauges and stuff that you would need in order to set all that. So basically, you'd have to have somebody set the coordinates, and the slugger just be pushing the fire button. <laughs> well.
1: Well, no, that's not true. All you have to do is just remove the face plates on all the gauges. Then you can see them just fine.
0: Ah, yeah. okay.
1: <laughs> and and remember from the, the adventure we had
2: at, at convention, the, the slug I played, yeah, as long as he was not in danger, he's happy to play with cannons and shoot at things.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's it's
1: like he is in danger, he's, he's going to find some place to hide. <laughs> he's not uh, incapable of placing himself in harm's way. He reacts to aggression. With total fear. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Okay. Okay, number 14. If there was an uninfected Mellor on a world closed off early during the Mellor War, whose culture evolved highly enough to learn cloning, could the Mellor somehow, through the technology, clone itself or get itself cloned? Basically, let's say he's in a human form and he's been slowly guiding this human culture.
2: Right. Right.
0: And he says, okay, you, Mr. Geneticist, here, here's a sample, work on this, and they look at it and see automatically, let's say it's the white goo, and he would look at it and said, I have a story to tell you. Could he have himself cloned?
1: No. Well, I would say anything is possible. I'm going to say no, because Mellor are that created. I mean, they are the result of a very complicated creation process. I mean, they they don't grow inside of something. I mean, they are literally constructed in these vats uh, under very, very specialized conditions. So unless you can absolutely recreate that technology, and that was the height of and technology at that time. So the chance of you... Accidentally coming, developing it yourself on a world within the thousand years that the mellar have had to do that? I would say probably not.
2: Yeah, But I would point out that, that, as we said before, it was a side effect of the infection that caused about 1% of the mellar to be able to breed. Remember, 99% of the mellar can't breed. Only 1% can actually reproduce themselves. So it's a, it's a programming error.
1: Right. But, but when we talk about breeding, we're talking creating the genetic capsule.
2: So how different is that from cloning then, Bruce? If a Mellor can make a genetic capsule, they they can reproduce themselves. A Master Mellor can can make a capsule to make another Master Mellor. If they can do that, then there's a chance for cloning. It's a matter of figuring out how the Mellor do the subdivision. We're talking folks who are up on the order of the melon in terms of
1: biotechnology to be able to do this. The Mellor's ability to transform and change and, and mirror is so amazingly accurate practically inspired, there may be some really incredible bio-nanite machines in their bodies that allow this to happen, that the Mellor can do it, but it doesn't mean that anybody else could reproduce that same process outside of the Meller just simply being one of that, that tiny 1%.
2: It's probably their self-repair system that was accidentally hacked. Yeah. That's what allows them to reproduce.
1: Well, I think it also was part of the plan of the Kegax because they wanted to free the Mellor. And one of the ways of freeing the maller is giving them the ability to self-create.
2: Yeah, it only worked in one percent, but well, yeah. Yeah, it worked.
1: Yeah. If you believe that the ability to reproduce in any form it was the result of the Kigak hack, this is an uninfected maller, therefore it couldn't do it. Good point. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, All right. So number 15. If a maller absorbed somebody with a mental ailment, i.e. Alzheimer's. Does it get all of the memories or only the currently available ones to the original?
2: And I had to look this one up. The Alzheimer brain is physically damaged. There's parts that are basically missing. They're just gone. So those memories aren't there. Then it depends on the transference me- method. If it's a uh, master Meller and he shakes your hand and gets your memories, he gets what memories you can get yourself. So, the other memories are like that, maybe, maybe like locked away in a section of the brain because of the damage. Can't get those now. If he eats your brain, he gets those.
1: So, it depends on how how he does the transference. Okay, at that point. All right, that sounds fine to me. What I thought was a more interesting question here was Hmm. the idea of if someone is crazy, oh, you've absorbed their memories, does that mean you're also uh, absorbing, uh, in a sense, part of their personality? Do you become crazy too?
2: They, we, we talked about that during the design. Yeah. He's simply just running the brain
1: in emulation mode. I agree. But that was something we talked about. We didn't really put into the, the manual that we released under D20.
0: Because I have friends of mine who are blind sociopaths. They have hypomania. <laughs> would they pick up those type of psychiatric dysfunctions? That would be as bad as a mutant meller having an old meller who mm-hmm. absorbed the the brain pattern of a borderline sociopath that could be still a dangerous thing right
2: but, but infected Mellor already are sociopaths no I'm talking
0: a regular <sighs> uninfected meller absorbs that oh
1: yeah whenever you deal with you know a large population there's always the possibility that there might be somebody who might be different
2: yeah I have a friend who's bipolar and as long as she takes your medication she's fine but if you just take her medication, she
1: yeah.
0: Oh yeah, yeah the the, the one of mine who's borderline sociopath. Oh yeah, there's times meds have been missed and yeah.
1: The idea was that the Mellor were going to be Tweedledee, the Tweedledum, where essentially you really had just really one person, one psyche, one everything, a Swiss Army knife person that could be lopped off on a world that would act reliably. Once you did the programming change, it was a hack, and there's been a thousand years, so there's been an opportunity for uh, variations to develop. I think it's quite possible for a Meller to become schizophrenic or bipolar or anything else like that. I've even used that in one of my adventures, that a Meller deviated from his normal process of destroying everything into another form of behavior that was very driven. Like I say, for everything else, when you have exceptions and people say, can this exception exist? My answer is always, sure, once. What would happen if you had a Miller who goes to the Lovecraft universe and meets up with the uh, person with the Mouth look? Miller are perfectly capable of dealing with all kinds of bizarre physiological forms to change into. I don't think he'd have any problem doing that, becoming you know, that kind, but he, I don't think it would limit him. Again, I think a more interesting question would be since everybody loses sanity in the Lovecraftian universe whenever they run into something strange or unusual like that, would a Meller go crazy in a Lovecraftian universe? If the Meller saw Cthulhu, would he go crazy? <laughs> if it's
2: an unaffected Meller, it would definitely would not be the same Meller afterwards.
0: <laughs> and if it I was think a it's like a Meller, it would be like, "Oh, cool, this is I can use this too." Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: I think anything that makes the game more interesting is a good idea. Making Mellor very strong, very grounded because they are essentially biological computers. Therefore, it would be very hard for them to deviate from their standard mindset. But... Hey, you know, it's okay to, to consider specific situations where this would happen. Like, let's say something like a Lovecraftian universe where simply being in the in the presence of certain information causes a degenerative effect on you. There's no reason that it couldn't affect a Meller.
2: Yeah. What happens when a Meller runs into a werewolf?
1: Well, that's a curse. It's a supernatural effect and therefore the Meller would not be yeah. immune to that.
2: Yeah. What happens if the Meller in the were form bite somebody. Does it become werewolves or do they
1: become were-mellers? If Jay was here, he'd say, my mind just exploded again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Because the nature of the curse, the way these curses work, I would say they become were-mellers.
0: Oh, no, it's funny because I have more questions here along that vein, but we'll... (laughs) 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 We have at least one more question that was on the forums at tritechgamers.com and that would be, we're going to step away from the Mellor line here could a fiber optic line be run through a fringe portal to another location even from along pathways with no electrical equipment on the pathways would it work to convey data across those distances
2: and i have to retract my original answer because bruce is correct no it wouldn't because the photons would just simply leak out the air side of the portal interface.
1: that black interface what we consider the the surface of the portal it stops all light, all electromagnetic energy. Therefore, even though, you know, is since the fiber optic cable is going through the portal, as soon as the light hits that interface, it's going to just dissipate.
2: However, thinking about this, a system based on cables would work. You have, like, say, eight different cables, eight bit communication. They can then be pulled back and forth in, in a pattern, and then it gets relayed down through re- mechanical repeaters. That would work you could use cables and run, run along the edge of the fringe paths uh, to communicate to another world in, in an 8-bit forum.
1: I'd have to see that physically in operation. I'd to see your configuration because the portal is pulling those cables through all the time. And you have to constantly be adding more mass. Not So pulling back against the portal is almost always not going to work if it's a cable.
2: I, I imagine the Victorians are busy working on it.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Now, what you could do is that you could vary the rate in which the cable goes through the system. In other words, let's say it goes at this rate for one second. Okay, that's a one. It goes through twice that rate. That's a zero. So then you could do a binary that way. You'd want some sort of
2: repeater system because if you try to do a 150-mile-long metal cable,
1: uh, at some point along the line, that thing would just snap. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a feasible system. I'm just trying to say from a theoretical standpoint.
0: We're at the end of the questions in the forums, but thankfully my buddy Eric has <laughs> since written more, and the next one does have to do with mechanical energy, if I can add it to the mix here.
1: All right. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I haven't thought about it at all, but I'll be glad to give you an answer.
0: <laughs> is mechanical energy preserved going through the portal can flywheels allow a vehicle to use power to spin the wheel use the wheel to travel through a portal and through another location before the flywheel loses too much quote-unquote energy
1: uh, the answer is yes
2: okay otherwise you pass out trying to go through the uh get through the portal yeah mechanical energy
1: energy is completely conserved going through a portal
2: right. it wasn't conserved, you'd pass out going through the portal because the blood in your body would stop moving to the other side.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, I have two more Mellor questions here. The first one is, if a least Mellor were to be cured, what would happen to it? We know if a master Mellor were to be cured, it would just probably revert to an old Mellor. But a Mellor that has since broken down, if that were to be administered a cure... Would well, it just revert to a new old meller, or
2: well, remember what Bruce said the least meller are the smallest possible package to hold the meller. Basically, remember the meller is actually this little lump in the middle of the meller's body. Yes. So the least meller are, are like the smallest possible size. You they can hold the meller's body, the, the the actual meller. So I would say he gets cured. Yeah, he gets cured, but he's now like about. Two foot, you no, know, three foot tall, and that's about it.
0: Okay, so he would end up being an uninfected least meller, which would be okay. Just be plain weird. <laughs> this next one would have to depend on the nature of the cure. Could a cured meller infect a warped and an infected one? It would. I would think that would be on depend on the nature of the cure of the yeah. makeup cure.
2: The cure was a viral cure. That is, it's basically a big old viral pack that's got to be that you can then transfer from Mellor to Mellor. Yeah, if it was inject once cure like it is with the uh, slargs, no, it's it's not transferable. In fact, I think a a, a a cured Mellor cured by a slarg would actually could be reinfected. I think.
1: Yeah. What are you saying on that one, Bruce? I would agree, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're cured. They're not necessarily immune. Right. Yeah.
2: So it really depends. If you have a viral cure for the malar, yeah, that actually is transferable. Right. If it's non-viral, then it's just one-off.
1: Yep. But since nobody has that kind of cure, you know, it's up to the GM whether he want to introduce that sort of thing.
0: I'd kind yeah. of figure that would be definitely a late campaign model type.
1: We're going to be talking about that in a a later episode, about the big bad. So, you know, if you want your Mellor to be the big bad, obviously if your campaign is going to go all the way through to the late campaign stage, you can't come up with a cure for Mellors anytime soon, or you've totally eliminated them.
0: Okay, all right. That covered all the ones on the TriTech Gamers forum that I put specifically on the page, and actually a couple that Eric has since written for me, and I still have plenty more, which I will be adding at a later date to the forum there.
1: That'd be great. Tell Eric, thank you for thinking about this and caring enough to write these questions.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, the fact When I saw he had three or four pages going, I'm going, okay, I think he's hooked. All these science and technical questions, the man's got a bachelor's in history. I'm thinking, where did he get this background from?
1: John and I had extensive email conversations about the equivalent of stupid pet tricks you could do with the fringe portal. The one I liked the most was the one where somebody who was non-fringe-worthy could push a box through a warp. At the same time, somebody who was on the fringe pass could go through the portal at exactly the same spot, exactly the same time, and end up inside the closed box. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also the fact that
2: if there's freestanding warp not a, not a ring section, but a freestanding warp, for non-fringeworthy, you get an instant anatomy lesson as if you're on the wrong side of the warp
0: as people walk through. Oh, the whole two yeah. thing not exist in the same physical place at the same time. No,
1: no, no, no. What he's saying is as you come through, because the back side of it is transparent, you're seeing the inside of the person's body as they're forming.
0: Oh
1: and if you're quick, you can put something in their stomach. Yeah. Oh.
0: Oh. And if,
1: and, and if you're slow enough, you might be able to do a quick appendectomy. Or no, if you're slow enough, your hands in their stomach. No, no. I mean, I mean, if the person's coming through the warp slowly enough. Yeah. One sixteenth of an inch per second is a relatively slow pace, and it might be possible to do a little nip and tuck while you're doing that
2: or pull things out. Someone swallowed the, the crystal key. How do you get it out? Go through a warp. Right. You have to have a non the other site to
1: do this. Which is one of the reasons why all your female uh, explorers should jump through the portal as quickly as possible. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah. There is such a thing as too much information. And-
0: oh, yeah. Always. Oh, yeah. there are yeah. times dementia radio becomes WTMI radio. Yeah, I, I know this all too well. Yeah. Oh.
2: So, we have an iTunes Store review. First one is from The Skeptic. Unfortunately, we're sorry, Skeptic. You posted this one in June of last year, and we just now just gotten to it. Uh, awesome game, awesome panel, awesome podcast, five stars.
1: Yeah, we like the five stars, folks. Please go out there and get, do more five star reviews for us.
2: Yeah. I have been playing Fringeworthy for over 20 years, and in a parathenical, and yes, I have a life smiley face. Uh, this podcast has answered many questions from me and my group yet they have opened up new questions It's story plot and mechanics can overlay on top of any other game system seriously check out fringeworthy and the fringeworthy podcast Cheers fellows links oh his name's links thank you links thank you yes, very much
1: links
0: well it's like I've said that this you know tritech games and fringeworthy is one of the best kept secrets in gaming it's it's just hmm. the game mechanics the background, all of them just you know are just that unique mm-hmm. that you look at this and you it you'd be very hard pressed not to just go wow so i try to explain this to people when in the game when i talk about these games even to my mundane friends and you know they're intrigued by the concept so yes yeah. five stars on itunes yes i'm 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 figuring Okay, that's a good thing. I like that. <laughs>
2: yeah. Now, and We also have a, a second one in, from uh, December of last year. Uh, great show, five stars. It's from uh, Julio uh, Kappa. I've been a fan of Bureau 13, rah, 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 for some time now, and after listening to this podcast, I'm now a fan of Fringeworthy and all the other TriTech games. Thanks, guys, for all the hard work. It's much appreciated. And we thank you, too, Julio. Yes.
1: Yes,
0: Julio, I- thank you.
1: I think it's interesting that you know, if you read The Masters of the Game by Gary Gygax, uh, regards what you think of him, it, he uh, presented that the normal progression for any player is to start playing the game and then progressing to be an expert player and then become a GM and finally run your own gaming convention for that game, invite, uh, inviting other people to come play too. Whether or not you, you know, you agree with that progression, we think it's an awfully cool idea that anybody who's ever played Fringeworthy or Bureau 13 or any of the other games, go out and start your own campaign and bring in your friends and introduce them to the game. Because you're not gonna find advertisements for Bureau thirteen on G4 or you know, most of the other podcasts out there. I mean, you're really gonna have to be an evangelist to let people in on this best kept secret. We don't want it to be a secret. And the only way we can really get the word out, other than the podcast itself, is by you going and showing your friends how cool these games are.
0: Best advertising is word of mouth. It always has right. been.
1: So. And we will support you in any way that we can if you will undertake this noble quest. And I just want to encourage anybody who's been thinking about it or who wants to do it uh, doesn't know where to start, get in contact with us. We all have emails. We'll all be glad to help you. We can come in over Skype and and, and run a couple demo games for you. Uh, hopefully, I, at some point, I'll get Fringeworthy uh, actual play that we recorded done so you can see what I consider to be the way to run a Fringeworthy adventure because I was the GM. The point is, is that we're here to, to provide support for you to play these games and to encourage your friends to play them. Uh, please don't let you know anything stop you. If you want to do it, get on the boat. We're we're there with you.
0: And also, if we are at cons because Bruce is at Dragon Con every year, I will be at Confusion this uh, coming January 21st to the 23rd. If you mm-hmm. happen to know us and see, ask us questions. We'll be more than happy to answer. You know, right. at Gen Con, we're running the demos and all that. Right. Um, Penguicon, I'll be at. I mean, by all means, if you see us, you find out we're there. We will answer your questions. We'll we'll fill you in on what you need to know about these games to help you guys out run your games better.
2: I'm going to be at Conquest Northwest on on the uh, 22nd, running uh, two games. I'll be running a
0: uh, 22nd of what, r- John? Uh, of this month. January, okay.
2: Yep, January, and I'll be. Uh, well, I should post this to the because we probably won't get this up there in time. But I'm going to say anyway, just in case
1: Bruce is a miracle worker uh <laughs> just yeah just post it to the news group or whatever put it in the show notes i don't look at you know
2: <laughs> yeah but i'm gonna mention it here anyway if you get it done in time then you get in there but i'm running two games i'm running a, a, a bureau 13 game legend of hobbs house and i'm running a, a fringe worthy game victor victorians
1: okay <laughs> I'm, oh, all right I'm going to be at TimeGate, which is, I believe, over uh, Memorial Day weekend, so you got a little bit of time. Uh, that's here in Atlanta, and I'll be running a number of games, And uh, but one of them is definitely going to be Fringeworthy, and I am going to be running the adventure Escape from Gilligan's Pocket Stop.
0: Ah, yes, yes.
1: Thanks very much for these questions, Trav, and your friend uh, Eric for providing them. And we hope other people will take the uh, opportunity to send us questions to our forums at TritackGamers.com or the Yahoo group or even up at the Tri-Tech Games uh, main site. Send us emails. We don't care. You know, there's also a Facebook, uh, Fringeworthy. Uh, send us questions there. We will be glad to answer them and give you credit for doing so. Uh, so thank you very much for the participation you had, and we thank you uh, who are our constant and uh, loyal listeners. We just want you to take the next step and actually, you know, get more involved. Thank you, and uh, we'll see you in the future. This is Bruce Sheffer saying, "There are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them." This is John
2: Ryer saying, "Keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in."
0: And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. The Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook.